up a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. The Restory Show, Season 4, Episode 4. Today's podcast is brought to you by JesusEveryday.life. That will be my next book coming out uh, in December of 2017. And it is 365, or if there's a leap year, 366 days of devotion, starting from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And uh, what's fun about that is you will be praying the scriptures every day for a year. So if you go to JesusEveryday.life, um, I do have a freebie there for you, and you can get uh, 52 prayers over the next year. So every Monday, you will see receive a prayer just for you with your name in it, and uh, you can get that at JesusEveryday.life. Also, I would just appreciate it if you could get the word out about the incredible stories that we hear on the Restory Show. So if you can review and share it, it just helps expand the message of the show. If you'd like to be on the Restory Show just for a little bit, you can click on the little icon on the right-hand side of marydemuth.com and record up to four minutes of your story, and we'll tack it on to the next episode. Today, I am welcoming Ellen Harbin to the Restory Show. She and I met at a mentoring intensive last uh, February of 2017, and she now has another book out because of that intensive. So I'm just really grateful for what God's been doing in those intensives because people, people's lives have been changed and so many people's books have been published since uh, attending that. So it's kind of the kick in the rear end that you need to uh, get going in that dream that you have to write a book if that's one of your dreams. So anyway, uh, she has an amazing story. And as all of the stories here are on the Restory Show, I'm just really excited for you to meet her. So without further ado, here is Ellen Harbin. Hey, everyone. It's Mary from The Restory Show. And today I'm really excited to have my friend Ellen Harbin on with us. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us on The Restory Show. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Mary. I know. And so Ellen and I, we met through a one of my mentoring intensives and we became friends. And um, so that's the incentive for those of you thinking about coming to a mentoring intensive. You can become my friend. I'm just so great. <laughs> it was the best part. <laughs> so Ellen, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you met Christ and maybe how you met your husband and just give us kind of bring us up to speed with who you are. Sure. I, uh, I'm one of those people that was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. Mom and dad are their first generation Christians. Their parents took them to church or made sure they got to church. But as far as having a relationship with Jesus, that was not uh, a part of their life. And so my parents, though, uh, made sure that me and my sisters were raised well in that sense. So I remember specifically at the age of eight years old, going to a church camp and kneeling at the altar at an invitation to come forward and to give my life over to Jesus. And, uh, and so that was uh, the summer between my third and fourth grade elementary years. So that was the moment that I remember inviting Jesus in or being saved, born again, becoming a believer. You know, there's a lot of tags that we can put on that. That's a specific moment that I remember. I kind of like to take the verse John 10, 10 and split that up where uh, Jesus says that I've come that you might have life. And so that moment when I was eight is when I uh, knew that I had 
eternal life and that it was a done deal and the assurance of my salvation was good. It's the second part of that verse that um, took a while to cement into my life and is an ongoing process. And that's when Jesus says that he also came that we would have life to the full or abundant life. And that was a part that uh, was missing for a lot of years. So being being a Christian does not mean that I made all the right decisions by any means. I, um, I struggled a lot through high school and through some of college, even though I don't have a college degree. Uh, part of that is because of some of my struggles that I had through that. Um, <laughs> But uh, but fast forward through uh, through my high school and young adult life, and I knew that the Lord had called me into ministry. I just wasn't sure exactly what that looked like. And because I was struggling with that whole, what does that mean to live abundantly? And a lot of this is really hindsight. I didn't know it at the time. It's looking back and being able to kind of parse that out. And so I did youth ministry for a couple of years, one at a church here in Michigan where I live, and then uh, in Miami, Florida. I mean, somebody has to suffer for Jesus, right? And <laughs> with the palm I trees. <laughs> exactly. We don't have palm trees here in Michigan. I didn't think and so. so <laughs> But uh, it was while I lived in Miami for a year that my um, now husband and I were dating. He was here in Michigan. I was there. He um, asked me to marry him. That got me back to Michigan. And uh, we became married. And it was just a couple of years into our marriage when God called Kevin into full-time ministry. I He was not a pastor when I married him, and though he is now. And um, so the first five years of our married life looked like we got married. We had five, uh, four children in five years. Whoa. We quit our, <laughs> our home, moved to seminary where we dwelled in a 850 square foot townhouse with all of us. And my husband was in seminary. Kevin likes to say that uh, we went away to uh, seminary and he gained an education and I gained a call. And so that's where the Lord knocked on my heart. I remember the specific days, kind of like when I was eight, I remember the specific day when I knelt at the altar. I remember a specific day I was in Bible study, a woman named Beth, and she is just a, she's still a mentor and a very, very dear friend of mine. And she was teaching in this Bible study. I can't tell you what she was teaching on at all. But what I remember is the Lord came and spoke to my heart. And not this audible voice thing, but just I knew it was from him. And he asked me a question. He said, Ellen, are you willing to be broken? Mm. Well, any Christian girl says, well, of course, Lord, I'm willing to be broken for you. And uh, I did not realize that saying yes to him, that's a word that's important to you, isn't it? Mm -hmm, Yes. mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't realize (laughs) that saying yes to being broken would take me on a very broken road. But it was on that broken road that the Lord started showing me the rest of John 10, 10, what it means to live abundantly for him. And so there was a lot of digging out some junk. There are a lot of cracks and crevices on my path. And uh, Jesus said, we need to get some of that worked out and fixed. So I'm still on that path. <laughs> I don't know that anybody lives on it. If, if somebody does, live on a path that is fully, perfectly paved and uh, no struggles or trouble along the way. I'd kind of like to meet that person. I mean, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. Um, (laughs) That was a great moment in my life. That was probably, you know, I 
I, I love your word restory. And so when I look at those restory moments, eight years old, my life was restoried to no assurance. But it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I that I started understanding what it really means to have a zest and a zeal for the Lord and a passion for his word and a passion for people and for his church and for the lost and broken people in the world. So that's that's kind of in a nutshell how the Lord has gotten my attention a couple of different ways. Yeah. So in light of that, what story do you want to share with Restory listeners today? I would love to share the story of how the Lord moved into our lives and called my husband and I to adoption. That story has a lot of offshoots from it. So um, Kevin graduated from seminary and we uh, were in a denomination where we're told where to go in terms of my husband's uh, authorities over him. And so we were living in a town in Michigan and our four older kids were all in Uh, They were either just entering into high school or right around high school age. And we had a very busy home and very active home. And I remember specifically this one Sunday where uh, it's kind of interesting that the, you know, my eight year old was, I remember the time at the altar and then the restory in terms of uh, understanding the call to that abundant living. I can remember that one moment in the chair. And then there's this story where we were sitting in a chair, my husband and I side (laughs) by side all of the kids in our living room and they were just loud and they had all their friends over. And in one moment they said, we're going to get ice cream and out the door they went. And it was silent. And my husband and I sat and looked at each other and we said, we don't like that sound. And so we had this empty nest on the horizon, but we didn't like the sound of silence in our home. But that was how the Lord started to open a door for us to Uh, towards adoption. So we started talking about that. And um, I remember being out on a walk with my husband one time and I said, you know, I just can't get this off my mind. I feel like we're supposed to investigate this adoption thing. And my husband said, you know, honey, I'm not where you are right now. So why don't you pray for me? All right. So a few weeks later, we're out on a walk again. And he said, okay, the Lord won't let me go. He's really, he's hounding me on this one. So let's, let's start the journey and see where it takes us. And so we did. So we walked this long road of um, deciding that we were going to adopt through the foster care system. And that involves a whole home study. There's a whole just a lot of different things that are involved in the midst of that. And um, it that was the fall of 2009. And that fall, I had started to uh, I was teaching, writing and teaching a Bible study at my church. And I had been writing Bible studies and teaching them for years. Um, But this particular study, uh, the Lord used in my life uh, dramatically. It's all part, again, of that restory moment. And I was teaching a study called, I named it uh, Women Warriors. And it was those who do the right thing no matter what. And we were just looking at some more obscure women in scripture. And so there were 10 weeks in this study. And it was, that was the fall. And so we were in the middle of our home study and this was around October was when we were expecting our caseworker to approve everything. We had to have, you know, you have to have FBI clearances and fingerprinting and local police and references. And, you know, there's just this whole gamut. And one of the things was we had to have physicals from our doctors declaring us healthy. And so I decided to make both appointments, the family doctor and the lady doctor, in one day. 
for female issues. And I mean, in the same week, not the same day. And both doctors uh, deemed me a picture of health. And so onward we go. And two weeks later in October, I started having symptoms that showed I was not a picture of health. And but we just thought, well, I'm in my 40s. I'm going to use the word uterus on your show. I hope that's okay. Because you can use uterus. And and so there were there were things wrong in terms of of my life and in my physical life. And I went to the doctor and uh, and called the doctor and he said, you know, I just saw you two weeks ago and that's not right. I think we need to get you in and, and get you looked at. He could have said, we just saw you two weeks ago and you were fine, but he didn't. And that was Lord. And so very long story there, I will make much shorter, that uh, on week nine of the 10-week study that I was teaching on the Women Warriors, I was diagnosed with a very high-risk and aggressive form of uterine cancer. So um, the one of the verses, though, that the Lord had led me to and revealed, me, revealed to me through that Bible study was um, Proverbs 24.10. And the message version says, Uh, If you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. Life had been going pretty good for us. And I remember saying to Kevin one time, I said, you know, everybody has a story. I feel like I don't have a story. Like, you know, this girl going through life and then, you know, I had some moments of rebellion, but not anything big. And uh, and I remember him kind of chuckling and saying, man, we better watch what we say. You know, one of those kind of, ah. well, here's the Lord giving me a story that he wants to use to restory. But uh, one of the learned a lot of lessons on that journey. And one of the lessons is that God allows us to go through some things, not because he wants to necessarily just change us, because he certainly does. But there's always a crowd paying attention. There's always people. And so it's. Proverbs 24.10, if you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. The Lord said, all right, you have been standing in front of a group of women at your church, hounding this verse into their lives, pouring it into them, teaching them, showing women from the past out of my word that uh, you do the right thing no matter what. And now you're in a crisis. What are you going to do? And it was, whoa. (laughs) So, So that shut down our case file. And we thought, oh, my word, we just walked this whole road towards adoption. And the Lord said no. And we had to walk through the whole cancer journey. And uh, so my uh, particular cancer required surgery. It required chemotherapy. It required radiation. And um, it was through all of that that uh, I was restoring in so many new ways on that on that journey. So I'm, I'm assuming that was very stressful. <laughs> And very painful, yeah. It was painful and it was stressful and it and uh, it was very much a broken road. I remember uh, here's another chair moment. I was sitting in a chair on December sixteenth of two thousand and nine. I had already had surgery. We had gone to the. We were on our way back to the doctor that day for the post surgical doctor's appointment where the doctor would let me know what, um, what was found, uh, what kind, you know, just to make sure that all the cancer that he knew was there and what the path was that we were going to take from that journey. And I was reading in Psalm 16 because it was December 16th and I got to verse five 
And uh, I have never had this moment. And I, to this day, have not had this happen before. This was the only time that this has ever happened, where as I was reading scripture, one word jumped off the page like a billboard out of my Bible. And this one word and this light just kind of shined on this word and it became super big in front of my face. And the word was assigned because um, Psalm 16, 5 in the New International Version says, Oh Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup and my lot is secure. And that word assigned and the Lord just said, this is my assignment for you and my word. And so it was that whole lesson of, you know, God didn't cause the cancer, but he wanted to use it and he had to allow it. And he was not sitting on his throne, shocked that our adoption case file had to be closed, shocked that I had cancer, shocked that it caused all these other issues in our life. He was not surprised. He he knew. And uh, and that was that was really satisfying for me to hear and to see and to know that this was the Lord's assignment for me. So then it became a whole different reality. I wasn't just going through cancer. I was handling an assignment from God. And how was I going to handle that? So I learned some really valuable lessons from that, which landed in a book, actually, um, just the lessons that I learned through through that crisis. Yeah. And so uh, how long did that journey take until they said, hey, everything's okay? <laughs> the whole journey through chemo, radiation, surgery, all the things that combine in the midst of all of that was almost 11 months. It was almost a year. So right around 11 months. So I was symptomatic in October. In November was diagnosis. We shut our case file down in November, walked that whole journey. And it wasn't until the next summer when uh, my hair started to grow back. (laughs) Kind of got things in the middle of that. Um, I want to say this. And when I was in the middle of my cancer journey, um, through chemo and radiation. I remember being at the doctor's office and uh, the nurse was explaining to me all these things and these expectations. She said, you know, there's about a 99% chance that uh, your hair is going to fall out. And I heard, well, you have a 1% chance that it won't. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I was really hoping for that. And, um, but I was in the 99%, my Mm -hmm. hair did fall out. And uh, my hairstylist was just all these little gifts along the way. She had said to me when she knew that I was diagnosed and knew that I was going to have to go through chemo, uh, she said, um, Ellen, are you, uh, you going to let me uh, shave your head when, when your hair starts to fall out? And some people might think, wow, that's kind of cruel. But for me, it was what I needed. I needed her to bring up the tough thing because I didn't know how to face it. And so she helped me face that. Um, that's part of the... Uh, not falling to pieces in a crisis thing. And so so the day came when my hair started to fall out and I went to see her and uh, she was prepared to shave my head because I didn't want my hair landing in my family's meal while I was preparing it. For me, that's my story. That's what I needed. And so I went to her and she shaved my head and I said, before you start taking off all of my hair, though, I would like for you to uh, shave 16 colon five in the back of my head so that we can get a picture of it because I, I need that reminder. And so I still have that reminder that <laughs> there's a sign that come along the way. So back to um, the summer now and uh, Kevin and I were at a camp a church camp. And when you're married to a pastor, you don't get to sit and worship with your man very often. And so 
we have this particular camp that we go to every year and there's a family camp that lasts a week long and we were sitting in the tabernacle next to each other worshiping together and um, the Lord spoke to both of us at the exact same time he said the adoption option is still open and it's still for you and uh, and I want you to proceed and so I called our caseworker uh, we waited about a month. We had people praying for us to make sure that that was indeed the truth and uh, called our caseworker and reopened our file. And about a month later, she called and said, I have these two kids. And we met Jalen and Sukanya, our two adopted children, that November. And they moved into our home forever in December of 2010. So about a whole year, uh, it went from adoption to cancer back to adoption. The story, it was just incredible how the Lord and how the Lord worked in that. Yeah. And so um, then once you adopted them, everything was really easy and the angel choir sang and all was yes. (laughs) Yes. Every morning I hear the hallelujah chorus and I stand up like you're supposed to. And I say, Lord, you're so good to allow our road to be so easy. Oh, Mary. <laughs> but no. And how Actually, old? It has- yeah. How old were they when you, they're a sibling group, right? They are they're a sibling set. Yeah. They were kindergarten and first grade. Oh, wow. So close in age. Yeah. <laughs> they were, they, and they were through the foster care system. And so any child that is uh, needing to be adopted through foster care comes with a really broken, traumatic, most horrific stories. Um, and our two fall under that category. And so, yeah, they came, they came broken kids, but uh, we serve a good God. And no, it's not easy. And every day is not easy. But, uh, but every day we have a God who his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And, uh, and we live under that. And um, we, we know that the Lord chose us to uh, to parent them and to and chose them to be our children. We we like to say God rescued them and we adopted them. They're not our pets. We didn't go and pick them out and have them. You know, we didn't rescue our children. We uh, God is the one who rescues. God delivers. We adopted, and that's His picture. You know, when I was eight years old and knelt at the altar, that's when He adopted me, and. Uh, I was in his forever family. And so we teach our kids that uh, we all got in this family um, by different modes of transportation, so to speak. Um, I had to be invited into the Kevin Harbin family by Kevin asking me to be his wife. Our other four children, they showed up biologically. And you have four kids in five years. They uh, they showed up unexpectedly. Um, so... <laughs> And, uh, and then Jalen and Sukanya showed up exactly the way that God, God designed them to be in our family. And so our family is unique because we all don't look the same either. My husband and I and our four older kids are all white and our two adopted children are black. And so we're a cross-racial family and, um, it's, it's a beautiful picture of what God does, uh, in life. And so, we stand in amazement of how his hand works, but also how his grace works. Sometimes his hand, his hand always works and his grace is always at work in that. But sometimes man makes a lot of mistakes 
and uh, and God's grace needs to come in and and land heavier than our than our mistakes. And so our our younger children live that every day um, with that awareness, and we want them to see God's grace so much bigger than man's mistakes. Yeah, yeah. So. As they've grown older, um, how have they come to interact with their own faith? How's their story of faith been shaped and how's that come about? That's a great question, Mary. I love that you asked that. Uh, not a lot of people ask that question. We don't coat tail, shirt tail, raise our children. They're not in the family of God because mom and dad are. They have to make that decision on their own. And uh, and so we've just always parented all six of our kids that your relationship with Jesus is uh, your relationship with him. It's not ours. And uh, and so they they need to make that decision on their own. And Jalen and Sukanya are no different. Um, that, that That's something that they need to do. Both of them have had that moment where they uh, accepted Jesus into their life. And, um, and each of their stories are beautiful. We chose to keep their first names that uh, were given to them at birth. Um, we felt that that was very important. We could have changed them, but uh, that's their identity and that's who what their name is. But when we come into a relationship with Jesus, he changes our name because we belong in his family and we bear his name now. And so because their last name changed, because they're a part of the Kevin Harbin family, their last name changed. This is a long answer to your question, but I remember one moment where we actually had a birth certificate party. It's not often that we can get all of us in one place at one time. And when uh, Jalen and Sukanya's uh, birth certificate, it took a long time for the judge to sign off and um, for the adoption to become final. So when their birth certificates came, uh, their birth certificates now say that we are their parents. And so my husband thought it would be a really neat idea to gather all of us together and have a birth certificate party where we would each uh, declare what our name was and where we were born. And so it was really neat. We went from oldest to youngest. And so we went right on down uh, in that. And uh, we had changed Jalen and Sukanya's middle names. And uh, my husband chose the name Joseph for Jalen. And specifically because of the verse in Genesis where where Joseph says that though man meant it for harm, God will use it for good. And uh, and so that's part of their story that's being made right now is um, somebody harmed them. Uh, God can use that for good, just like he can use cancer for good. So how old are they now? They uh, actually today they just walked over to the middle school for the first time. Uh, well, Sukanya, she's in seventh grade and Jalen's in eighth grade. So we actually just now, Jalen's birthday is uh, this week. And in just a couple of days, we'll be able to say that we have had him for half of his life. And uh, that's a, for a kid, that's a long time, you know? And so we're kind of moving in a, in a different direction. In terms of just, it's not we just adopted. It's you've just been here. You're just you're in our family. You're us. We're we're us together. Yeah. I love I love that story, and I love that it got put on hold. But in a way, like God was preparing your family for the right two kids that wouldn't have happened, wouldn't have happened had it not been interrupted. And so, even there, you have to look back at the sovereignty of God and see that He had His hand in all of that somehow. You know, we don't 
understand it all on this side, but we will on the other. I think we get stuck a lot trying to understand something that we're not meant to understand. And uh, that's part of that falling to pieces in a crisis. That just wasn't an option for us. Um, One of our sons, one of our older sons said to us when Jalen and Sukanya were in our family, um, Eric came and said, you know, mama, I'm not glad that you had cancer, but I actually thank God that you did because otherwise Jalen and Sukanya wouldn't be in our family. And so that's, that's the sovereignty that he doesn't like that I had it, but had it not been, they weren't ready for adoption when we were ready. And so things need, and that's part of that confusion that God did not cause my cancer so that adoption gets put on hold so that Jalen and Sukanya could become a part of our family. It doesn't work like that, but he used it. He absolutely used it. And, um, And so they did. Uh, When I called our caseworker to reopen our file, uh, because legally they can't open it, we have to say that. And they're not even allowed to call us. They just have to for us to call them. Um, She shared a story with me after Jalen and Sukanya um, were already in our home. She said, um, she said, Ellen, I need to tell you that the day before you called to reopen your case file, I went to my case manager and said to her, I've got these two kids and they're perfect for the Harbin family. And I don't know what to do because I was closed and I can't call them. And I know they're supposed to be in their family. And I called her the next day. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, those are just those kind of those are those. I mean, we say that's just such a little piece of the story. But no, that's so huge. That's God's hand just doing what he does. And standing back and paying attention to that is um, it just brings me to my knees. It really does that he is that much, you know, that's a hair on our head and a lily in the field that he, that he cares. And it's often those little things. It's not the big come through in the end. It's those small little reminders that, that show that he's intimately acquainted with us. Like you said, the hair yeah. on your head, the lily in the field. So what kind of advice would you give to someone in that place that they, maybe they feel like God's called them to something, but something has interrupted that like cancer or, you know, something painful relationship or whatever it might be. What kind of advice would you give to someone in that waiting space? When I was teaching that Bible study on women warriors, there was another theme that seemed to kind of keep coming up and I hadn't planned on it, which is when, you know, it's from the Lord. And, uh, it was the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And, uh, and I kind of knew what it meant. I mean, to fear the Lord is to be, to have a reverence for him, to be in awe of him, but I wanted a more defining moment in what does that mean? And, uh, the Lord brought me to Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 and 13, where it goes through and explains, this is what the fear of the Lord is. It starts out with, and now, O Israel, uh, what does it mean to fear the Lord? And I like to always insert my name in there. Now, O Ellen, what does it mean to fear the Lord? And uh, I have a really big struggle with memorizing scripture, but uh, the Lord just gave me this word that attaches to that scripture and people can go look that up on their own. But um, I came up with this word slow because it means to serve God, love God, observe his commands and walk in all his ways, serve, love, observe, walk. And that's right out of that Deuteronomy uh, 10, 12 scripture. And so that whole slow concept has just been a part of my life since then living slow. What does it mean? And so encouraging women and others, even just, I tend to have a ministry more towards women. So I always tend to say that, but men are included, uh, that, 
living slow, serving God, loving him, observing his commands and walking in all his ways. That's what we're responsible for. We are responsible for fearing God. He takes everything else in life and he's in control of all of that. And so I can't tell you how many times I'll be driving down the road and there's a slow, like a a road sign. It's a slow. Now I know that the uh, Department of Transportation has put that there for my safety, but it is the Lord who always brings that back to me. When um, and and here's a just a little story that uh, in regards to that, which hopefully will help help a listener. So one time in the summer before we adopted, my husband and I took our at that time youngest son and a friend on a little vacation, and while we were gone, we decided that we were going to go to one of those places of fun where there's uh, go-karting and putt-putting and arcade games and all these stuff. And we were all in a great mood. We're in the car. We're on our way there. And something happened. I turned into a nagging, nasty, just just not fun person to be with. I'm sure I'm the only person on your show who's ever experienced that. <laughs> or the host. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It just happened. And I thought, I mean, at that moment, I didn't, I wasn't thinking at all, clearly. And uh, I was not nice. And we got to the place and my husband and my son and his friend vacated the car rather quickly. I mean, who wouldn't? And so I'm lagging behind and I get out of the car and I slam the door because we want to somehow hurt the door because it's that fault for me being in my bad mood. And I left the camera in the car because we need pictures of this really good time, right? So I go back to the car, grab the camera, and I'm even more in a huff. And there's no reason for this attitude. There's no reason whatsoever. And I slam the door and I turn around and I tripped right in the middle of this huge parking lot, just tripped. And of course, that even made me more mad, you know. And so I uh, when I tripped, though, I looked down and right on the ground in big yellow letters, S-L-O-W. And I had the camera and I took a picture of that slow right there. And the Lord said, lady, you need to slow down. And that was just I mean, that was no cancer, no adoption, no big life event, no big struggle, no big trouble, nothing, just everyday life. And I turned and the Lord, he'll come and grab us back. And so the advice, I think Mary is the same. It's the same, whether we're in this everyday little moment of life, or there's this big crisis that's in our way. The advice is the same. It's we have we need to serve God. We need to love him. We need to observe his commands. We need to walk in all his ways. Um, that's that's what he does, because there's people paying attention. There's always somebody paying attention to how does Jesus show up in our life and how can others get more restoried or how can they even understand their own restory? But to see a picture of somebody who's been there and walked it, that they can say, oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you for being a picture of what that looks like for me. So I think that's the that's the biggest piece that I can think of right now. Yes, I love that because, you know, we don't always have like grandiose things going on. It's usually like we need to make our tuna fish sandwich. You know, it's not like huge, big life altering decisions are happening today, but we always can slow down and, and hear God and, and obey him. And, you know, it's not very popular these days. We, it's not popular to know the word of God. It's not popular to understand his commandments. It's not popular to walk in them. 
and we will stand out for doing that. So it's, it's a, it's an important task. It's not praise. There's not a lot of accolade for it, but internally your own peace of mind and knowing that you're being faithful and little is huge. I think that's important. I like to liken it to, uh, to uh, my car. So when the windshield wiper flies off my car, I fly off the handle like that about sets me in a new direction, but the transmission can fall out. And I'm like, Oh, well, you know what? God's got this apparently. So it's those big things I tend to handle better than the small things, but life is filled with a lot more small things, grandiose things, like you said. Yeah. It's so true. So if you look back over the past 365 days last year, how has God restoried you? Oh, um, I feel like every day if I paid attention closely or closer, I think all followers of Jesus could journal where the Lord restores us in those in those moments. But to take something that just kind of stands out, the Lord gave me a word this year, uh, and the word was stand. And I thought that the word was going to be used for a different purpose. And God took that and moved it in a different direction. And, uh, and, and you didn't ask me to say this, Mary, but it really was at the uh, writer's intensive where, um, that I, that I attended with you and where I met you that I am so grateful that the Lord took that word and made it make more sense and land that life where he wants it. And so what does it mean to stand firm? Well, Isaiah says that if you uh, do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And, uh, and so standing to me is, is firm. It's not this wavering, um, flailing, you know, it's, it is firm and sturdy and, and true, not perfect, not everything's all roses, not everything. uh, I'll never see trouble again. That's not what it means. And so I'm really learning this year, this past year, and I'm right in the the heart of it right now of what does it really mean to stand firm. And so, um, and he's done a couple of things in my life for that. I didn't anticipate, uh, I anticipated writing another book. I just didn't think that it would be called Stand, and and it is. It's, you know, (laughs) Um, but stand has turned into a series. There's more coming and I'm taking my Bible studies and, uh, and turning them into books. And so the first just got released and, um, and I have a conference that is coming to Southeast Michigan this fall called stand. And, uh, it's the Lord has just taken that and, and shown me, I, I like, uh, I like to use the term to live as Jesus intends. It goes back to that whole abundant living. How does Jesus intend for us to live every day? It's all out wholeheartedly standing firm and fully living for him in whatever way we can do that each day. He calls us to it and he brings us through it. And um, if I have my eyes fixed on him and not on the stuff that gets in the way, I, I don't like to see people stuck on their faith journey. And so it's uh, it's a passion of mine to help others uh, stand firm. And what does that look like? Uh, isn't it a good thing that we don't have to have our ex together? <laughs> yes. I mean, that's the best part about Rahab. You know, he didn't wait for her to clean up her her life before he used her. He used her in her life. And uh, and then she changed her life because of how he showed up so big. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I love I love Jesus. I absolutely wholeheartedly, passionately love him, not because of what he does for me but because of who he is. 
and praise him and thank him for what he does for me. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think we uh, both wholeheartedly agree on that last point. <laughs> we both do love him very much. And so, Ellen, thank you so much for sharing you know, some of those poignant moments in your life of bending the knee and hearing from God and and experiencing him and standing and being slow and all of that. I just really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing it with the Restory listeners today. Thank you, Mary. Thanks. I appreciate you and the ministry that you have. It's awesome. Thanks for listening to the Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, I pray for those who are battling cancer today, who are battling a scary diagnosis, who don't know what the end of their story is. And I also pray for those who are hearing the the prompting of the Spirit to adopt a child, particularly those in the foster care system, Lord. And I pray that you would make the road obvious. I know that that road will be bumpy, and I know that there will be trauma and pain in the middle of that road, but I pray that you would show um, folks clearly what they are to do next. And for all of us, Lord, remind us to get back on our knees and pray for those who are fatherless and motherless or who have been abandoned or um, those who need a family. Help us to be well aware of the orphans and the type of orphans that we have in our own culture that we can love them and support those who take on this added responsibility of raising more children. So Lord, just keep us mindful of those. And Lord, if you would, just show us something today that we could specifically do to bless a family that's in that situation. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Uh, I would not be here today if you hadn't adopted me. So we're just so grateful. I pray all of this in your precious name. Amen. If you'd like more information about today's show, head on over to marydemuth.com forward slash restory 4-4 and may you live a brand new story 